Good morning. I think I'm on. I think I'm uh, audible. You are audible. My, my screen is not yet coming up or being released. So uh, there it comes. Well, we are, uh, as you already heard in Mark's reading, uh, we are beginning today a journey through the book of Acts. And um, a few years back, we went through the book of Revelation. And I, I, believe, I believe it took us about two years to get through that book. I could be wrong. Yeah. Something. And so we're going to be going now through the book of Acts. I, I trust it won't take two years, but it will be a challenging book. Um, and it's worth recognizing uh, this book has been uh, labeled different things. Uh, some people call it the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, some translations and, and folks uh, label it Acts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and both of those tiles are profoundly uh, accurate. Uh, we get to see how God began working through the apostles. And we get to see as well uh, that in their lives and in our lives, none of that would have been possible. None of that would have been effective. None of it would have mattered at all if it was not led and empowered by the Holy Spirit. So after the resurrection, um, Jesus wasn't finished. Uh, his physical presence on the planet was coming to an end. But after his resurrection, uh, we have uh, this incredible event transpiring, uh, as we'll read again here in just a minute, uh, that for 40 days, the resurrected Jesus continued to appear on planet Earth. And he didn't just stay at the Motel 6 and hang out. He would, he would appear, and then he would disappear, and then he would appear in another location and disappear. He would show up when he had something very specific to accomplish, something very specific to communicate. And as we're approaching now the end of that 40 days, this beginning of Acts um, is carrying uh, right in front of us an, an amazing series of events. So again, let's just launch into that. So uh, verse one, the first account I composed Theophilus about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. And so this, this history of the acts of the apostles and the Holy Spirit was written by Luke uh, same gentleman who wrote the Gospel of Luke. And just like the Gospel, he's writing it to Theophilus, a friend who was a believer. But Luke explains that he's writing these things to help lay for Theophilus a solid foundation to understand the basis of his faith, a solid foundation to understand the truth and, and the implications of Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection. And he's continuing that story now. And then he says to those chosen apostles, to those he also presented himself alive after his suffering 
by many convincing truths. Proofs. Appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Spirit not many days from now. And so Jesus is, is commanding his disciples to wait. And we're going to see that thought taken even deeper in the next couple of verses. But Jesus is saying, you're not ready to go do things. There is something that John prophesied. So John prophesied while he was doing his ministry that he baptized with water. But he said, the one who comes after me doesn't baptize with water. He baptizes with the Holy Spirit. That the very Spirit of God will be poured out like water over a certain group of people who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. And now Jesus is saying, that prophecy is getting ready to be fulfilled. I am preparing to pour out the very Spirit of God on a select group of people, not the whole planet. So our culture likes to talk in general about the Spirit of God in every human being. Uh, many people who are spiritually minded in our culture try to make that just a generic indwelling, that, that the Spirit of God is just everywhere. And in the truest sense, the Spirit of God is everywhere, but he is not indwelling every human being. This is reserved for just the people who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. And in fact, Jesus told his disciples, it's good for you that I go away, because when I go away, I'm going to send the helper. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send your advocate. I'm going to send your power. When, when I go to my throne, I will send the Holy Spirit, and he will be your, your absolute presence of God in a unique and empowering way. Your lives have the potential to be drastically, radically different because of the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. And as we go through the book of Acts, I, I do want us to periodically recognize this. Um, God views power different than we view it. Uh, in Sunday school this morning, we were studying about Nebuchadnezzar, and, and his power was virtually absolute. What he says goes. He could have people put to death on a whim. He could come with a new idea, and then everybody has to do his idea because of the power and the sovereignty of his human reign. Jesus is talking about a different power. And, and again, we'll see this poured out and, and lived out over and over again in this book. So he's saying, you wait. You do not have what you need yet. You don't have the Holy Spirit, and you don't have the power, the unique power that the Holy Spirit will bring. So he continues in verse 6. When they'd come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he just said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. And so this Again, now he's saying you're going to receive power, but it's going to be a very unique, a very particular kind of power. It won't be Nebuchadnezzar's power. It won't be the power of, of kings and rulers. 
it won't be the power of strong men and influential women. It's going to be something different. And if you'll turn back to Matthew 28, uh, the passage that Anne read for us a little earlier. Jesus says this, verse 18, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And so again, Jesus is, is launching his, um, he's launching his expression of power, starting with him. Power flows from me. I'm the one with power. I'm the one with authority. The Father has given me all power. It's a comprehensive statement. The Father has given me all power. But then he goes on to say this, but you, I'm talking to you disciples, you therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so that reflection out of Acts 1, where he says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. And he, and he says again, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the remotest part of the earth. There will be no earthly limit to where the power of this gospel will be barred. There is no earthly limit to where the gospel can go. And, you know, one of the things we're praying for Pastor Cho and, and we're praying for plenty of other believers that are in mass in, uh, in persecution and living under tyranny. And that recognition that there is not any power on planet Earth that can stop the effectiveness of the gospel in the lives of men and women who are determined to preach that gospel. Um, I look forward to someday talking with Pastor Cho. I, I hope we get to. Um, but one thing I'm confident of, that when Pastor Cho is finally released, we will get to hear stories that the gospel was not imprisoned. That while Pastor Cho was in prison, even digitally, I can't control this, <clears throat> that while Pastor Cho is in prison, the gospel is still having a profound effect on the lives around him. And whether it's a single prisoner, whether it's a guard, whether it's the church being encouraged by, by his faithfulness, one way or another, the gospel is being magnified and carried out even in the face of persecution. Not just for Pastor Cho, but for thousands and thousands of obscure unknown Christians that we will never know about. Because Jesus has all power and all authority to send his children where he wants them to go and to bring salvation. There's another passage. If you'll turn to Romans chapter 1. I want to read this. Romans chapter 1 verse 16. And Paul is talking about the gospel. He's talking about um, his commitment to the gospel, to the, to the Jews, to the Greeks, uh, to, to the Romans, to everyone, that he's determined to preach the gospel. But he says this in verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes in to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 
that's a powerful verse. And, and it fits with Matthew 28. It, it fits with Acts 1. That God is presenting a, a uniform picture here that he's saying, the power I'm talking about is power for salvation. And we're going to, as we're going through the, the book of Acts, we're going to see powerful miracles done. We're, we're going to see blind people receive their sight. We're going to see lame who walk. walk. Um, we're going to be, we will see even Des resurrected. But we will keep saying that the ultimate power is for salvation. I'm getting some kind of echo. Yeah, I think you turned the audio on on your uh, other device. And usually when I hit F1, it stops. Is that better? No, that's not better. Has that turned it off? Okay. Good. Thank you for muting that. Um, so this power of salvation gets to be what we focus on. Now, I remember once uh, asking for a show of hands and practically everybody in the congregation expressed the fact that we have witnessed what we believe to be a miracle. Something outside the norm of, of regular physics and medicine and expected functioning of the planet. And we've seen God operate in a miracle. We've seen people healed miraculously. Some in our congregation have been healed miraculously. We've seen accidents prevented and, and people delivered from threatening circumstances. And most of us have some kind of story along that line. And yet the recognition that God is really emphasizing through all these passages is he's saying, here's the main power, truly. Here's the main power I want my sons and daughters pursuing and focusing on that I have granted my sons and daughters the power to take the truth into other people's lives, invite them into the kingdom, and sometimes in spite of all kinds of predictable human factors, someone will be born again. So I, I, wish, um, I wish we had more time to even tell some of those stories, but one of the things I know about this is that if we could tell each person's stories and, and we could hear from Mark and Fran and, and we could hear from Ed and Kathy and we could hear from um, John and we could hear from Kim and we could hear from, uh, I keep naming names, we could hear from each person and look at the circumstances. In many of those lives, we would recognize it didn't look likely that this person would become a believer. 
And even though I had a mom who loved God and a mom who uh, served God and trusted God, I had a dad who did, um, until his repentance late in life, did vast amounts of damage to many, many lives, including my brother's and I. And, and I got to hear a woman predict to my mother where she saw my life going. That she predicted that my brother and I, my brothers and I would end up as juvenile delinquents on the street. That was the predictable human outcome. And by the grace of God, thank God, that wasn't the future. That wasn't the outcome. Because God did a powerful thing that in spite of all the damage we'd experienced and seen, God invited each one of us to the truth of salvation and forgiveness. And, and his grace accomplished it. There was nothing superior in us, nothing good in us that would accomplish that. But the power of this gospel and the power of this grace rescued us from the predictable outcome. And I know many of you right now are thinking and are praising God. And in fact, I would encourage you, if you know that, be praising God right now. That you are an example of the power of God to do something unexpected. To take someone who is opposed to the truth, someone who is living away from God, and to bring that, that prideful person, that sinful person, that um, arrogant person, that bitter person, to take that person and bring them very powerfully to a moment when they would be ready to receive salvation from an invisible God because they heard the truth, and by the work of the Holy Spirit, they came to believe the truth. And it transformed their whole lives. Now, that's the power that Acts 1 is talking about, that Romans 1.16 is talking about, that Matthew 28 is talking about, and plenty of other passages we could go to. And yes, God has power to perform miracles. But God healed me physically. God healed me once in my life. A, a very dramatic healing. Um, after surgeries and lifetime debilitation were predicted for my shoulder after a bicycle after a not a, motor, not a bicycle after a motorbike accident and god healed me miraculously in one moment in a way that glorified him and, and brought comfort and hope to other people but this body is still getting old and decaying that was a temporary miracle it had wonderful purpose but my salvation is permanent. Your salvation is permanent. So this, this power for salvation is worth recognizing. Different from every other earthly miracle, the outcome of this power is eternal. Now I want to go back for a moment, again in, in Acts 1, because we saw a couple of things about timing because the truths that God that God is teaching us in this passage are not just about power they also include God's timing so we already read the part where he's saying wait here in Jerusalem stay but then he also says but you will receive power so there was, a, there was a waiting time for power. It wasn't just, you already know the truth, just go start doing this stuff. I have a timing, <clears throat> and we won't go into it now. Uh, we will come back to it, but we won't go into it now. 
that that timing even related to the Feast of Israel, that Pentecost was coming, and there was going to be meaning and, and powerful symbol to that, and again, we'll come back to that. We'll come back to that next week. But he was saying this timing matters. In the calendar of God, it is not yet time for the power to be poured out. So Jesus could have said, you know what? I'm going to heaven now. Hang out here for about five minutes, and the power will be poured out on you. And that's not what he said. My father is working on a thousand things, a million things at once. And I promise you, the timing of that outpouring of power will be a blessing for Israel, will be a blessing for Jews, will be a blessing for all the future work of faithfulness to the nation of Israel that they will look back and be able to see. And it will be right for you, and you will be in the right place at the right time to carry out the purposes of God. So part of that is, is, is again, I have a multitude of purposes. Trust my timing. And I think almost all of us, again, could tell a story, maybe many stories, of when we were pretty upset with God, or at least starting to freak out and get a little panicky, because we had prayed for something. It was something that seemed really important, and it looked like God was late, or it looked like God was negligent, or it looked like God was, was somehow distracted, and he wasn't on top of things, and he just truly did not comprehend how crucial the timing was. And that we can tell stories later that when God finally did act and in the way he acted, then to some extent we could see both his purposes and the wisdom of his timing. But here's another aspect of timing that the disciples were grappling with in verse 6. Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel. And again, we get to be very, very patient. Uh, they're asking about an earthly kingdom. And it's not strange. They're, they're not, they haven't been sucked into some cult to be wondering about this. They're thinking of a multitude of promises from the Old Testament. And again, as, as we've talked about many times, that was the strongest inclination of desire for Israel and even for early believers was, man, let's get all those promises of the millennial kingdom. Let's get all those promises of Messiah reigning with an iron rod and evil being put away and all the enemies of Israel being put in their place and Israel being exonerated and God being glorified. Let's get to that kingdom. And it makes perfect sense that now the disciples are sitting around with a resurrected Jesus. They have spent 40 days interacting with a resurrected Jesus. Man, if there was ever a guy that they could be confident, this guy's ready to rule. He can't even be killed. This guy's ready to reign, and we're going to be with him, and we're going to reign with him. Is it at this time, Jesus, that you're going to launch that kingdom? They had no clue how long the delay was for that kingdom. But Jesus said, not for you to know that time. And again, when he says power, he's saying, I'm giving you power 
to be populating the heavenly kingdom. And I'm hoping you will get your mind in gear for this, and they did. That's supposed to be a D. And I'm, I'm hoping that we can come up with a tech, technical thing that will automatically correct my spelling. But until we get that, you got to put up with this. That he's saying, I'm, I'm entrusting you with this, that instead of focusing on that millennial kingdom, which will come at the right moment, that right now you accept my power and my authority granted to you, that you pursue the purposes of my eternal kingdom that you pursue the purposes of bringing salvation to the world, that you pursue the purpose, you and I, you and I, literally you and I are equipped with power to populate the kingdom of God with new sons and daughters. And not that we accomplish their salvation, but we get to play a role in taking the truth to our neighbor or our friend or our cousin, to an enemy. We get to take the, the truth of the gospel in conversation and by living out our life. And, and I know, again, that several of you could have stories like this. In fact, some of you might be this story. But I can remember one, one young lady that when Carrie and I returned to Hawaii for a wedding, years after we had left, and while I was in Hawaii, I was in the Marine Corps, and, and they allowed me to teach a third grade, grade class. Um, it was a wonderful experience, uh, and all those people entrusted this gnarly Marine with, with raising their children in that third grade class to know truth and know the Lord. And I remember coming back to Hawaii and this young lady coming up, and I had no recollection of her even being in the class. I remembered her, but I had no recollection of her being in the class. She evidently was very quiet, very sort of behind the scenes. And she came up to just share how that class and the truths that we talked about, just the word of God that we got to, to learn together in that class, had led her to the point of salvation in Christ and, and living her life. And, and both she and her mom were just rejoicing over what God had done in her life. And I didn't even know God was working on her. And there were two or three others. Well, actually, it was more than two or three. There was a handful of others that I was really focused on, and I felt like I could see God working in their life. And here she was quietly at the side, my ignorance, my, my neglect perhaps, but not the neglect or ignorance of the Holy Spirit, that the power of God was working for her salvation simply because the truth was being spoken, simply because the gospel was being explained. And off there at the side, she chose Jesus Christ and entered into the eternal kingdom of God. And again, some of you may be that person who heard the gospel that it wasn't even presented to you or, or saw something or read something that wasn't even being presented to you, but the Holy Spirit hooked you through it and brought you to the moment of salvation. So you and I have no clue who we're influencing when we simply live our life in union with God, when we simply live our lives of faith and trust in the salvation of Christ. And that when opportunity comes up, 
that even all of us who may not have the gift of, of evangelism, we still have this calling that he says, you shall receive power to be my witnesses. And, and we, will, we will raise our hand and tell the truth about Jesus Christ. Tell the truth about his death on the cross for forgiveness. And I know that there are plenty of times when, when we can feel intimidated, that we think, I'm talking to somebody who's going to think that's corny. I'm talking to somebody who's going to think that's silly. I'm talking to somebody who's going to mock it. And, and I don't feel like being mocked. So maybe this is a good moment for silence. And that we get to recognize, how dare I limit the power of God to bring someone to salvation by me not speaking? I don't have to defend it. I don't have to prove it. Some people are real good at, at apologetics and giving all kinds of good reasons why Scripture is true or why Jesus is who prophecy and Scripture claim him to be. And if you're one of those people, you get to be speaking and exercising your gift of evangelism and apologetics. But again, what we're recognizing is I'm receiving power to build the heavenly kingdom by simply being a faithful witness. I tell the truth. Can you mute that tablet again? So that recognition that that you and I are equipped for this, I think gets to be one of the one of the most powerful ways we begin our study of the book of Acts is to recognize that everything we're going to be reading and studying is meant to strengthen us and encourage us and equip us for the effectiveness of our witness. That we don't just sit back as an audience in awe of Peter and James and Paul and Barnabas and, and Philip and Stephen. We don't just sit back in awe of what God accomplished through them that very seriously, you and I, in fact, starting right now, that you and I are saying this to God, Father, I want to learn from this so that I trust you more for the effectiveness of my witness in my family, in my job situation, in my school situation, my circle of friends, my circle of relatives. Father, I want to learn from this that I receive your power and then I also walk through my life trusting in your timing. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I'm really ready for all this lockdown to be over. I don't know when it's going to be over, but I'm ready. But if, even in that, even in something that, in, in a sense, mundane, that earthly, of, of when will be, we be free enough of this threat, or will the threat be handled wisely enough, that we can lighten some of these restrictions. Um, one way or another, God has timing for that. God has timing for that. The president, Congress, governors, mayors, just like, just like Pilate standing before Jesus, Jesus would say about all those leaders, they only have the power that God has granted to them for a season. But what you and I have is power that no matter how the timing differs from what we want, we have power to be influencing lives. We have power, even through these limited electronic gatherings 
or through calling up a friend or texting a friend, through visiting a neighbor from 20 feet away, walking around our neighborhood and greeting people from 15 feet away. We have power to be witnesses right now. The government has no power to shut that down. And that we dare not think of this time of seclusion or limitation as a shutting down of the timing and the purposes and the power of God. Because this is not an earthly calling and it is not an earthly power. But again, Jesus said, all power and authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. You and I get to agree with that and pursue his purposes. So as we continue in the book of Acts, I, I really encourage for you and I pray for myself that we will be amazed at what we see God doing through all these men and women. We will be absolutely stunned by how God keeps turning the tables on Satan. We will be amazed at, at simple people he works through to accomplish great things. But we will be most equipped is in our daily walk of trusting in the power and the timing of God for his purposes to be carried out in us and for you and I to operate as witnesses for the most powerful thing that can be accomplished on earth. And I mean that. I hope we're comprehending that. The single most powerful thing that can be accomplished on planet earth is that a man, woman, or child that was doomed to an eternity in hell has been lovingly shared with to receive the gospel and said yes. And out of that single moment is now transferred out of the kingdom of darkness, as Colossians says, transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved son. That is the most powerful thing that can happen on planet Earth. And if you and I have a disease and it's healed, that's powerful. If you and I have a financial need and God just delivers something in our hand at the right moment, that's powerful. But those are tiny miracles, and I, and I mean that seriously. Those are tiny miracles to the reality that someone that once belonged to Satan for eternity, belonged to death and hell for eternity, now belongs to God as a beloved son or daughter for eternity. And we get to play a role in that. Let's pray together. Father, I do thank you for the day of my salvation. Father, I remember that day. I was a six-year-old kid who hardly understood anything. Now I'm a 65-year-old kid who hardly understands anything. But Father, I understood this. Jesus died for my sins and offered me life, offered me forgiveness, offered me eternity. And I said, yes. And then you, Father, you did all the powerful and miraculous stuff out of that simple agreement with the truth you offered me. I myself and, and most of the men and women and children who are listening right now, Father, we said yes to your offer and you accomplished our eternal salvation. What a power, Father. Help us to not be impressed by the wrong things. That human power and human influence and human celebrity and human adulation and human applause, Father, that we, we let those dim more and more in our estimation because we comprehend this, that the greatest power on planet Earth is when one child shares the gospel with another child and that child prays to receive Jesus. 
And Father, some of us have seen that miracle. I've seen that miracle. And many others here have, Father. Or a teenager or a gnarly old adult that we share the gospel and someone says yes. And Jesus, it mattered to you that your disciples not go running off for your purpose in their timing and their power. You forbade them to go running to try to do your purposes out of their timing and their power. So, Father, I do pray that your spirit would be helping us, that we would keep growing and understanding and receiving with humility the lordship authority of Jesus in our lives. That we don't try to debate someone into the kingdom. We don't try to manipulate someone into the kingdom. We don't try to use undue influence of any kind. We speak the truth and let your spirit do powerful things to invite their hearts and spirits into the kingdom. Father, thank you for this purpose. That we are a church, we are a fellowship, gets to love and encourage one another. And again, no matter the distance. But we're also a church that gets to shine the light of the gospel to those around us. To just speak the simple truth that Jesus died for our sins because the Father loves us. Thank you, Father, for all these treasures. 